this week that the title of my message was going to be Bucket List. And um, I, don't know, I don't know about you guys, but does anyone have a bucket list in here? Like anyone, like maybe you don't write it down, but you've got a few things. I know my wife does. It's usually travel. She wants to go everywhere and drive a Zamboni. So if you have a connection, she's in. Um, no, for real, it's on the top of the list. Um, I don't know why, but we all have things that like, if you don't know what a bucket list is, it's kind of these experiences or something that you'd like to do uh, before you die. And um, for some of you, it's driving a Zamboni. For others, it's skydiving or traveling someplace that you've always wanted to go, but you've never made time or couldn't afford. Maybe you want to run a marathon or see your favorite band in concerts. Uh, you want to buy that thing that you've always wanted that you just, you know, you'd never like kind of prioritized it in your life. But um, we all have some things. We all have some things that like we'd like to, to do, to experience before we pass. And um, I want to ask you this question. This has a little bit more to do with what Emily shared this morning, which is this. What would you do if you knew that you only had a couple of days to live? Um, and I'm not trying to be morbid, but I think it's interesting question because it kind of all of a sudden puts all those things into focus. <laughs> all the, um, the Zamboni and the skydiving and the things, like the traveling and all of that. When you know you've got hours, if, if not days left, um, all of a sudden the things that are most important to you uh, become really, really, truly focused. I know that if I were in that position, and who knows, maybe I am and I don't even know it, um, but I know that I would say, I love you and I'm proud of you a lot, a lot. Like probably to the point where like the people closest to me would be like, I know you said it 15 times. Like, I just, I just want you to know, I love you. I'm proud of you. Like, I just want you to know. I know that um, I hope that I would tell people how much they mean to me. Like if I only had a couple of days to live, I, I hope that I would make amends if needed. I, I hope that I would spend the remainder of my time with the people who I love the most, leaving nothing unsaid. I would say things that I've thought, maybe I was too manly or too insecure to say out loud. I would say those things because, well, what do you have to lose, right? You, have, you, got, you got hours, if not a, a day, two to, to live. It kind of changes things. And so the title of my message today is Bucket List. And we're going to look at Jesus's bucket list. And you're like, I don't think Jesus had a bucket list. I, it, does, it doesn't say that, but I really truly feel that like if we look at Jesus's last day of life, I mean, when he knew that his time had come, and the Bible says that he knew that his time had come, all of a sudden things come into focus and you do the things that you maybe have wanted to do, but now you're very intentional and very focused about doing them. And he knew full well that his time had come. And in the gospel of Luke, we, uh, we read that Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 15, he says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he knew, he knew that his time to die was, was closing in. He had been looking forward. He says he eagerly desired to gather together his closest guys, the, the 12, right? The ones that he had poured his life into for the past few years. And he wanted to eat a final meal. We call it the Last Supper, a holy meal, Passover, with them together. Now, have you ever had a meal that just didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would, right? 
You ever had like, um, like a Thanksgiving that just didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. Like you're like, yeah, maybe the turkey was undercooked or overcooked, or maybe you're like, no, I had that last night. I cooked for my entire family and nobody liked anything that I ate and I had to clean it up afterwards. Like, you know, you're in that place where you're like, no, I mean, have you ever had a Thanksgiving that ended in a fist fight? Like anyone? Yeah, shouldn't, you know, don't raise your hand. I would say this, um, if you're struggling like saying, well, I'm, I'm already getting a little nervous about this, then um, I, would just, I would just encourage you to read the Gospel of John and go down through the Last Supper because at the end of your Thanksgiving, you'll probably say, well, at least it wasn't as bad as Jesus' Last Supper, right? It'll be a comfort to you. So process this with me. The final dinner table, they're all sitting there. You know, you see it, you know, Le- you know Leonardo or, you know, whatever, Da Vinci, thank you, Da Vinci. I was going to say DiCaprio, but no. <laughs> he didn't paint it. The other did. And, um, <laughs> and you, you know, you see it, it looks all nice. Everyone looks like all put together. But think about who was at this dinner table. Um, he knows that one of them, one of the 12, Judas, is actively planning to betray him. And he tells them that as they're dipping their bread in a bowl together. He's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to betray me. Um, we read in the Gospel of Luke that at that very dinner table, there's a fight that starts um, where they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest disciple. I'm, I'm the best. No, no, I am. No, no, I am. No, I am. Like they kind of go back and forth. At this very dinner table, Jesus has to confront Peter and tell him that he's going to deny even knowing him. And Peter's like, oh, no, that's not me. He's like, no, you will three times. Um, this is a dinner that I don't know what was expected, but I would expect it to go a whole lot better given it's the last supper of Jesus with the closest people that are around him. And it's almost at, that, at the moment that Jesus does something incredibly uh, unexpected. He, uh, he does this awkward surprise that I think changed the whole night and probably changed their lives And I know just in the reading of it changes our life. And so I I would love you to turn with me to John chapter 13, and we're going to read a portion of that scripture of the Last Supper. Why don't you stand with me? John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, it was uh, just before the the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world. So he knows he's got very limited time and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped himself in a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Hallelujah. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that uh, you just help us in the midst of just life and all of the circumstances and how things just never seem to go the way that we had hoped or planned. God, I thank you that you went before us and that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you wash our feet. I pray that you would help us to figure out how to do that to other people that, that hurt us and disappoint us and do all kinds of things and evil against us. Um, help us to take your example, like you say, here and figure out what that means for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So... These are the last hours before Jesus is arrested and beaten and crucified. And I love how John kind of sums up Jesus's bucket list in verse one. He says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. I, I, love, I love the way that John writes that. Like Jesus did... He loved them well, and he loved them to the end. So how did he show his love for them? How did he, in this last hour, this, this last day of his life, how did he show that he loved them? Well, I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't make T-shirts, um, you know, with his little logo. He didn't, he didn't give them Swiss Army knives with little, like, engraved with one of his favorite sayings, like me, you know, at the end of it. Like, he didn't, he didn't do that. He actually... Um, hours before he was arrested, completed something on his bucket list and he performs one of the most menial tasks that no one wanted to do. And he washes his disciples' feet. And we read it in, in verse three, he gets ready. He's, look, at, look at how he prepares to do this. It says this in verse three. Jesus knew, so he's now he knows, it is, it is solidified in him. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So because he knew that he had all things under his power, he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, he knew who he was. You would think that the very next moment, the next words in this verse would be like a, an epic statement. Like it would be like a superhero statement. Like he assumed his rightful throne. Like something that you'd be like, yeah, you know who you are. You have all power has been given to you on heaven and earth and under the earth and you're ready to go and you know where you're going. And it says this so... So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He, 
he's preparing to do one of the most humbling things that, that kind of what we read he's ever done. Um, and you may be like, well, I don't know. I think he's probably done more humble things. And I, I get it, you know, just being born a human and, and having to, to leave heaven to do that. I, I get that. That's a humbling thing. But I want you to truly understand what he did here. Because foot washing isn't something that we, we do often. Um, we're kind of far removed from this culture and this, this time and day and age. Um, I, don't, I don't like feet. Any, I mean, anybody with me? Like feet are gross. They're gross. Like I don't, I don't like feet. I don't like your feet. Uh, no offense, but I don't like them. I've never even seen it. And I know I don't like them, right? So like if you're with me, like you understand, like I just, I don't, I don't appreciate feet, but I want you to understand something that in this day, in this age, in this culture, everyone walked in sandals and it was dry and it was, it was nasty. Um, standards weren't up to snuff with cleanliness that we would consider clean around here. Everybody walked down dirty roads and stepped in animal dung. Um, their feet were filthy, dry, calloused, and all kinds of weirdness on it, right? Like stuff growing. Not, it was nasty and cracked. And when you entered somebody's house back in this day, there was like a protocol. Like kind of how in today's day, like if I went to your house, I would, I would walk in your door and I would be like, oh, should I take my, my shoes off? And some of you'd be like, nah, don't worry about it. And some of you'd be like, yes, please. That's why we have this little thing here. They're all lined up. Don't you see them? You know, like, I, I, I know, I get it. And so, but that's kind of protocol. We just ask what's protocol in this house. But in, in this day and age, you'd walk into somebody's house and there would be like a, a basin, a, a foot washing station. Not anything that's like elaborate, but maybe like a basin of water and a towel something to sit on. And a servant of that home would come and wash your feet for you. It was the job of the lowest servant, the lowest ranking servant. I mean, obviously it's the job that no servant wanted to do. So if you were the newbie on staff and you were the one, you just knew like, I don't get to start out here. I have to start down here. And when you start out here, the, the task is washing people's feet when they come into the house. And um, it was the, the job of the person of the lowest position in the group. And it's weird because we read in Luke's gospel that this Passover meal, the last supper was kind of a rented room kind of situation. Like Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, yeah, go. You're going to see a guy, ask him if he has a room. He's going to say yes. And they're like, okay. And they go and he, yeah, you can use this room. And so it was kind of this rented room situation. And Jesus literally says like, I want you guys to go get everything you need for the Passover and set it up, prepare it yourself. You're going to have a room, but get it all to get it all ready to go. And it seems that they enter the room, walk past the foot washing station, and none of them offer to wash each other's feet. And Peter can wash his own nasty feet, right? It's gross. You've seen James's feet? They look like carpet. I mean, you, you know, you're probably like, come on, Bartholomew. Like, you... you just wash our feet. Then you could be mentioned in the Bible for something other than your name, right? Like, dude, this is your opportunity. It's like your last opportunity. You should probably do something. Thomas is over in the corner, like, doubt it, right? I mean, 
there's something going on here that isn't necessarily written, but is kind of implied. And as I read Luke's gospel account of the Last Supper, I notice something that um, I'm going to go on a limb, but I think it's connected. It's really interesting because you read Luke's gospel and you read John's gospel and kind of put those two accounts of the Last Supper together. Um, it's interesting. So, so um, just, just listen, just bear with me. Luke tells us that they were sitting at this very Passover dinner. And in Luke 22, verse 24, it says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I just mentioned it, right, earlier. Like, like there was this dispute that happens, which one of us is the greatest? And I thought, could it be that the dispute over who was the greatest was actually connected to an argument over who was the lowest? I'm not washing their feet. I shouldn't be doing that. I'm, I'm the great. No, no, you should be. Bartholomew, Thomas, you, come on. Could it be that they were all sitting there? I mean, it's crazy, but at the Last Supper with filthy feet. Because none of them were willing to humble themselves to wash each other's feet. Think about that. I don't know if you can check that out in like Leonardo da Vinci's painting. Can you see their feet? I don't think you can. Refusing to serve, unwilling to show weakness because of the fear of the opinions of men. Well, if I do that, I'm never, I'm, no, I, should, I shouldn't have to do that. I, I, I get it. I, I know maybe I'm not Peter, but I'm, I'm little, I'm, Jesus looks at me a lot, so barely looks at you, so you should do it. And I think how often do we find ourselves doing the very same thing? Like we see a need, but we think, well, that's not my job. I'm not picking that up. That's gross. It's not my position. And if I do that, what are people going to think of me? They're going to think that like I'm low enough to do that thing when I'm, I'm high enough. I, I, I need this position or else I'm not doing anything. Like somebody should do that. I'll make a call and make sure somebody picks that up or does this thing, but I'm not doing that. That's not me. That's you. And then the one person in the room who, who is by far the greatest uses his position of greatness, not to lord it over them, not to say, yeah, y'all should be washing my feet, but to serve them. And I would say this, because when you know your identity in God, you aren't concerned with losing it through the opinions of men. Right. Let me say that one more time. When you know your identity in God, you are not concerned with losing it through the opinions of men. Which is how Jesus or any one of those guys could have decided, you know what, um, I'm actually, my identity is not dependent on how you view me. Which means I am free to serve. I'm free to humble. I'm free to love people that don't deserve it. I'm free to do all of those things. Why? Because I'm not actually held hostage to your opinion of me. Because I know who I am. It's interesting that it's prefaced, Jesus actually washing the feet is prefaced with him knowing who he is where he came from, and where he's going. He was free. Free to do what he knew he needed to do. 
And then in verse five, it continues. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began, I want you to picture this. He began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. The one person who everyone knew should have had his feet washed. I mean, nobody was like, yeah, I'm probably better than Jesus. Uh, he's, yeah, he's lower than me. He should be washing my feet. Everybody knew if anybody's going to get their feet washed tonight, it's going to be Jesus. The one guy who everybody knew should have had his feet washed decides to wash everybody else's feet. I mean, Jesus could have, and probably I would have, if I were Jesus, I would have been like, hey, guys, look, it's going to be my last supper. I'd love it. If you guys could just get that place, you know, I, here's the thing. You, you just get everything all set up. Make it a really nice dinner. It's my last dinner. And then we can just kind of sit around. Y'all can wash my feet. And then we can talk about your closest memory to me, right? Over the past couple of years. That'd be awesome. Could it just be about me? right? It's always about you guys and about everybody. Could it just be about me tonight? I mean, that's probably what I would do if I were Jesus, but that's not what Jesus does. Like he washes their feet one at a time. Every single one of them. I counted them. 24 filthy feet. 24 filthy feet. And don't forget, he's not just cleaning feet. He's cleaning feet that belong to people. And as he goes down the line, he comes to Judas. Really? Judas. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew that Judas knew that he was going to betray him. And he still decides to wash Judas's two feet. He washes Judas's feet in spite of what he knew Judas was going to do. And I don't know about you, but like, it, maybe you're a whole lot holier and more like Jesus than me, but I ask this question, like, how in the world can you know the offenses that people have made and the offenses that people will do and still serve them? Still, still wash their feet? How could Jesus separate that out? Because I, I don't know about you, I would, I would just be going down the line, going down the line and get to Judas and Judas would be like, next, move on to the next guy. You can wash your own stinking feet. You're going to be out of here soon anyway. Like, I mean, literally, like, that, that would, but, but that's, that's, that's how we would look at it as, as humans. But I love that, and I, and I, and I was thinking about this, like I, I think that Jesus was just settled that he was free to do the right thing no matter what wrong things other people would do. That Judas's sin did not negate Jesus's love for him. Church, that is the gospel. That, that God does not treat you according to your sin when you are in Christ. That you are extended grace and love and mercy that you don't deserve and you certainly have done probably everything to negate it and Jesus still loves you and cleans you and washes you and forgives you. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That your sin didn't keep Jesus away. In fact, it was your sin, your dirtiness that caused Jesus to make a way, to say, I'm going to make a way. And so he, he, that's how I think Jesus can look at Judas. And with, I don't think he did it begrudgingly. I think he did it with love in his eyes, still loving Judas, even though he knew what Judas was going to do. And I think that's honestly, the love of Christ is so ridiculous 
in our lives, that he knew what we've done and knows what we'll do and still loves you? Like, how in the world does he do this? That, and, and I think that there's this, this hidden, like, teaching in the midst of it that someone else's sin is not the boss of you. That someone else's sin doesn't negate what it is that Christ has called you to. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be free of, of pain. It doesn't mean that you're going to be free of offense. It doesn't mean that you're going to be free of, of hurt and disappointment. It just means that you can be free to love. You can be free to serve. You can be free to humble yourself. Why? Because you know who you are. You know where you're going, which means that you can be free to do the right thing, even though other people may choose to do the wrong thing. And for people that don't deserve it. And from whom there is nothing in it for you. Nothing in it for you because you're honoring God. I think that's how Jesus can wash Judas' feet and truly love him. I think that Jesus knew better than probably anyone what we've been talking about this, through this whole series, that you can be free no matter what they do. That's the beauty of Christ. So he washes Judas's feet. And don't forget, it comes to the point where he washes Peter's feet. And it says this in verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you, are you gonna wash my feet? In other words, like, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus replies to him, you don't realize what I'm, what I'm doing now, but, but later you will understand. And Peter, as in perfect Peter fashion, is like, no. You shall never wash my feet. It seems like, like, like Peter may have been the last person to get his feet washed. You can read it yourself and like read between the lines, but it's pretty spelled out how John talks about how everyone's feet were washed. And it, it almost seems that like, like Peter waited. I don't know why, because normally he's the first one for everything, right? Like, but but he, it seems like he waited and watched the other 11 get their feet washed. And I wonder, because it's Peter, I wonder if he was thinking, I can't believe these guys. They're getting it wrong. Can't believe these yahoos. And I wonder if Peter thought, you know what? When Jesus comes to me, <laughs> I'm going to say, no, 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 no. You shall never wash my feet. And I bet Jesus is going to say, Peter, you got it right. Good job. All of you failed the test, but Peter gets to inherit my chocolate factory. I wish that everyone was as spiritual as you, Peter. You win, you get it all, right? I mean, like, I think Peter's thinking that I gotta get it. I gotta get them. I got them all. I watched all these yahoos allow Jesus to wash their feet. He shouldn't be washing their feet. We should be washing his feet. And that's not what Jesus says to him. Jesus corrects him. You can read it. He says in verse eight, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That escalated quickly. And, and Jesus, I think, is actually teaching us a little bit more about what humility is. What do I mean by that? See, most of the time when we talk about humility, we, we, we think of it in terms of showing humility by serving other people. 
thinking of myself less and serving other people. And most of the time it is, right? Most of the time it's deciding, well, this something needs to be done. I'm not, I'm not beneath that. I'm going to do that job. That's humility. But how many of us are like Peter? I'll never ask for help. I don't accept charity. You will never wash my feet. No, no. Because I think for some of us, receiving grace and gifts and love and charity from others can be the hardest thing for us to do. Oh, no, no, no. You, no, I don't, no, I don't need help. No, 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 no. Uh, you shall never wash my feet. No, I don't need your charity. And I think what Jesus is teaching Peter and I think what he's teaching the group and you and I is that sometimes humility is actually allowing other people to serve you. Because the refusal to receive an act of service either from God or from other people can sometimes be the greatest sign of pride in your life. Jesus is saying that humility is both being willing to admit that, you're, that you need to be cleaned and submit to Jesus washing you. Both of those things at the same time. This is what he's telling Peter. And I love how Peter replies because it's just like Peter. He's like, well, then, Lord, uh, not just my hands, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Like, he just goes to the other extreme because that's kind of how Peter is. Like, don't just give me, don't just wash my feet. Like, give me a full bath. I want a full bath, Jesus. Like, do the whole thing. And I, I don't know if you, do you think that sometimes Jesus just looks at Peter and is like, will you just stop telling me what to do? He's always telling Jesus what to do. You can't do this. You better not do that. I won't allow this. And like, I mean, come on. Shh, shh, shh. He goes on in verse 10. Jesus, okay, Peter, chill out. He says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Obviously, Jesus is not talking about washing feet anymore. He's kind of make, making this analogy to something deeper. He's saying that there is this initial bathing, but there is also this ongoing washing that happens in a believer's life. There is an initial bathing. How does that happen? The initial bathing happens when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, when you surrender your life to him, when you are forgiven of your sins and you are made clean. This is this initial bathing that happens when we come to faith in Christ. But there's also an ongoing washing that should be happening in your life. Our, our Christian life shouldn't be like, well, you know what? Back in 1968 at a kid's crusade, I gave my life to Jesus and that's pretty much been it. Back in 1978, I, re I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I haven't sinned since. Bull. There's this ongoing washing that should be applied in our life as Christians. Let me, Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter five, verse 26. He says, we are made holy, we are, we are cleansed by the washing with water through the, what? Through the word. Church, um, you, you were made clean through the salvation in Christ, but we are called to submit daily to the washing of the word of God in our life submitting to his word, to his ways, to his thoughts. 
There's, there's an initial bathing, but an ongoing washing that happens when the word of God finds a place in us and is applied and the soap does its work and begins to make us, mold us, break us, and shape us to look more like Jesus. That happens through daily submitting, admitting, and, and just allowing him to do what he does through his word. And it's important for you to see this, though, because what Jesus is saying, and this is huge. I mean, he's essentially saying, Peter, what you step in doesn't change who you are. You, you have been made clean, Jesus says. Like, but when you step in crap, crap is not what you are. When, when you step in it, and some of us have stepped in it, some of us are in this place where you're like, oh, you know, Pastor Justin, like, you know what, I've given my heart to Jesus, but you know what, I've been falling into this, or I got involved in this relationship, and this is the first time I've been back to church in a, in a while, and I've done all these things, but you don't understand. Like, I think what Jesus is saying is like, you don't need to get re-baptized or re-re-re-re-re-baptized or rededicate or re-re-rededicate your life to Jesus. Like, you just need to wash your feet. Your feet need to be washed. You have been made clean by the initial bath. You just stepped in it and your feet need to be cleaned. You need to allow God to wash you through the washing of his word. You need to allow him to wash your feet. You need to allow him to remind you who you are in him. And maybe washing your feet looks like I need to go make it right with that person that I've offended as far as it depends on me. I need to go ask a brother to hold me accountable because I keep falling into this sin that I just keep falling, falling, falling into. Maybe it looks like Jesus when he catches this woman in the act of adultery and he says to her, go and sin no more. Our role is obviously to come to faith in Christ, but there is an ongoing washing of submitting to the word of God in our life. As the word of God comes into our hearts, we apply it and allow it to do its work because no word of God, every word of God has the ability to perform itself in us and through us. That's the beauty of the word of God in our life. So, why don't, you, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read this last scripture and then I'll, I'll leave you. He says this. Verse 14. Jesus essentially explains his bucket list. He's like, this is why I did what I did, guys. I marked off, but this is why I did it. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, what exactly is Jesus talking about? Is he, is he, please tell me that he is not saying that we need to go around and offer to wash everybody's stanky, filthy feet. Because if that's it, I'm like, I'm out. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, we're not ending this service in case you're like, I'm getting ready, Pastor Justin, right? We're not ending this service with a foot washing where I'm gonna wash all of your feet here, okay? Like, I, I, please tell me that Jesus is not just saying like, oh yeah, you just need to carry a basin and a towel and just be offering to wash everybody else's feet. I think what Jesus is doing is he's giving an example of humbling yourself to meet a need that is in front of you whatever that need is. There was a need of a bunch of yahoos talking about who's the greatest, essentially arguing about who's the lowest. 
that should be washing all of our feet because nobody was willing to humble themselves because of a fear of man. And the one who should have been getting his feet washed knew who he was. And so he did not, he was not afraid of losing his identity through the approval of men decides to do what nobody else would do and wash the nasty feet of people (laughs) that didn't deserve it. I think he just saw it in front of him. And I I don't know about you, I was thinking about this last night actually. I actually had to go look it back up because I was like, oh man, I never thought about this. Like, Have you ever wondered if Jesus ever got his feet washed that night? It's not written there. If he did get his feet washed, it wasn't recorded. I'll just tell you that. And you'd think Peter would have, right? Like, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, I need to, you know, part with me. Oh, give me a full bath. And then you think that at the end, he'd be like, no, I want, I'd like to wash your feet or somebody in the room. But it's not, it's not recorded. And I think like, how does Jesus expect us to wash his feet? I think we wash his feet when we do for others what he's done for us. I think Jesus wasn't worried too much because he knew what was coming. He wasn't worried about having clean feet going into arrest, beating, crucifixion, and death. But he was very concerned on his bucket list that he would do something that we don't deserve so that we can do something for others that they don't deserve. And he says this in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The blessing isn't in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing. My concern for the American church, honestly, right now, where we're at, is that knowing is the new doing. Uh, we just need a new Bible study. We need another, another sermon. I just, I just need more knowledge. I need, I need you to understand. I need to understand this. I need to understand this mystery, this revelation. I need to understand more. And Jesus is like, I, I actually just need you to start doing what you know and applying it. It's kind of like soap. It does no good on a shelf. The, the soap makes you clean when you apply it. That's how the washing of the word Works. It's not in the reading of it. It's not even in the knowing of it. It's in the doing of it. It's in the applying of it. And Jesus says you will be blessed, not just because you'd read it, not just because you've been, oh man, that was such a good thing. Jesus just washed our feet. Oh my God, isn't that amazing? Oh, he's so great. Oh, so awesome. No, it's in the doing of that. For others, it's in the application. Because you can, you can serve out other people without loving them, but you can't love other people without serving them. And that's what Jesus showed. Like we are washed when we do what the word says. So if you feel like like God's like working something in you this morning, like you're like, I've I've got this pride, whether it's like a pride of I don't need it, you shall not wash my feet. (laughs) Or just a pride of just (laughs) life, I think. The key is this, don't ask God to cast it out or beat yourself up over it. You're like, man, I, I, you don't understand, like my, my feet are filthy. Like I, I've, been, I've been away, I've been, I've been doing my own thing, I've been walking away from God, I've been, I've been involved in things that I shouldn't have been involved in. 
Jesus, like, you don't need to get re 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 baptized. Just allow me to wash your feet. Allow me to wash your feet. Starve it. Operate in the opposite spirit. Begin to apply my word in your life. And Jesus says the best way to do it is through serving. So if you want to change your marriage, serve your spouse. You, you want to you change your friendships? Serve. You want to change your community? Serve. You want to change your life? Serve. Serve. Because he says in a few verses in the same chapter, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What would it look like if we did for others what Christ did for us? What would it look like if you asked the Holy Spirit, when you see a need that is in front of you, how can I help? How can I help in this, in this moment, in this, in this situation? And before we move on, as we go into this, this time, this last worship song, I just wanna give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never come to the initial bathing of Christ. You've never come to just the point, and this is the key, and this is so hard, but this is the key of just admitting that you need to be washed, admitting that your sin has, has dirtied you and that you need the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Admitting and submitting to his washing. If you've never come to that place, if you've never come to that place of just saying like, okay, I surrender my life to you, Lord, and I give it over to you. I pray that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And if this is true, if I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, I want it. If that's where you're at right now, I just want to encourage you to pray with me. It's just between you and him. It's, there's nothing magical about this. This is a heart place of you just saying, wow, if this is true, I don't want to leave this place without taking an opportunity to encounter the living Christ. And so I just, I just encourage you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I own the fact that I have sinned and they are many. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sin. And I ask that you would cleanse me and make me whole. I pray that you would free me from the sin of my past and give me the boldness and courage to move forward in the present. Fill me with your, with your Holy Spirit from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for those that have prayed that prayer today, Lord, I pray that, that they would know that they know that they know that they've encountered the living Christ who goes above and beyond to do what nobody else wanted to do, to love, show grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it like you and like me. Lord, I thank you for the ridiculous grace that you show us we receive it today. I pray you'd wash us fresh in Jesus' name. As we sing today, I just want to encourage you, just allow the grace of Jesus Christ to wash you. Maybe you came in today and you've got some dirty feet and you just feel like, well, you don't understand. This is where I've been and this is what I've done. Jesus is saying, look, you're here. Allow me to wash you with my word. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd wash us with your word in Jesus' name. Let's worship.